I'm Mark Hummel, and welcome to Mark Hummel's Harmonica Party. I have my friend Fido Della Parra from Can Heat today, and we're at his house in uh, in Southern California, and we're going to talk about Fido's story and the Can Heat story, and 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 the wild tales that uh, he wrote about in his book Living the Blues, which is one of the funnest rock and roll books I ever read. Thank you. Thank and you. It's, I, I, it's I, I, really, I, I, uh, it's an amazing testament to, you know, you keeping a band going for that, for that length of time. Yes. That's quite a, quite a, quite a journey that we have gone yeah. through. And, um, you were born in, in Mexico city in 1946. Yes. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And your wasn't your father, a, was he a diplomat or what, what did he do again? No, my father was basically a businessman. A businessman. Yeah, okay. he was a businessman. But he was we pretty were, successful, right? He was successful, yeah. yeah. And uh, we were a middle-class family, like many American families, you uh -huh. know, growing in the big city, you know. And my father was really into music and into American culture. He loved American culture and he loved jazz music. Mm -hmm. That's what was my, my, my first introduction to music was my dad taking me to all these movies at the time. Hmm. You know, the Glenn Miller story, the Benny right. Goodman story, right. the Gene Krupa story. Yeah. And one really old one that is not that famous, it was called Orchestra Wives. Hmm. And it's a very old film that it actually has the real original Glenn Miller band playing on it. Wow. And uh, it is a great, it's a, you know, those are the movies that my dad used to take me to when I was a kid, you know, eight, ten years old. Uh-huh. And uh, so that was my introduction to, to music for the first time. And you said the first album he gave you was the Little Richard album? The Little Richard. Here is Little 13. Richard album when I was 13. That right. was my, my uh, birthday present, you know. And... Uh, I've heard that record over and over again. I got myself infected with all those grooves. Right, right. And, you know, and, and, and you know, that drummer, you know, uh, the whole thing was yeah. fantastic. I think it's to Earl me. Palmer on Earl, it. Right? Earl Palmer yeah. in most yeah. of them, yes. Earl right. Palmer, you know, right. one of my idols, of course. Yeah. One of the greatest uh, rhythm and blues and, and rock and roll drummers. You Absolutely, know? man. You know, and... Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I set up my, I used to make my own drum kit with cookie boxes and mm -hmm. cardboard boxes. Right. I had no education. I didn't know exactly how to do it. And my symbol was one of those old fashioned 50s ashtrays they used to have from the 50s. Oh, really? They were huge and big. Yeah, right. And they had all these fluorescent colors, you know. Uh, that's great. You, re you remember the campy, campy yeah, 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 stuff, yeah. you know, made of metal. Yeah, right. So I used to use one of those ashtrays as a symbol. That's great. And, you know, that's the way I started playing. So it how old were you when you started playing drums? Or, or... I, I was about 12. About 12? 12, 11, around that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Actually, when I was a real, real little kid, maybe about four or five, they gave me a drum kit, too. Oh, really? My okay. grandmother did. But I guess I must have been making a lot of noise because I remember one day I woke up and the kid was gone. <laughs> and you know, I I was I was like four or five years old. It didn't oh, yeah, really yeah. matter so much, but that's one thing that I always remember. You know that I had this wonderful drum kit. Right. We were living in my grandparents' house. My grandfather was Austrian, and he was like, you know, very tight. And he, I, I guess, he didn't like uh, the noise. Right. He didn't right. like that noise that the five-year-old was making with that's his drums. Funny, I was yeah. having a ball. So your dad was a fan, but maybe not your not grandfather. Not my grandfather, no, right. no. And this is my maternal grandfather, right. okay? Right, So, yeah, one day I wake up and the drums are gone. 
So I guess I went back to my cowboys and Indians and my soldiers and. But eventually, eventually <laughs> you got hooked again by music. Oh yeah, music. Yeah. Then, then of course later on, as as we as I develop, I grew up, and as I said, in my teens and before my teens, my father took me to see those movies, and I got turned on by him. And then, of course, for the first time, and I got around 1959, 1960, Bill Haley and the Comets comes to Mexico right. City. Oh, wow. For the first time. Yeah. And uh, when you realize that the times were so different, I mean, this was a new music. Right. Coming from the North. Right. You know, coming from all these people that we already admire, that play right. jazz music and all that. Yeah. But rock and roll didn't exist. Right. You see, and this was thing, the yeah. first brand new thing. That, yeah. And there is Bill Haley and the Comets with the original band yeah. playing fantastic. I mean, they were they were playing almost acoustic. Yeah. They were really not that Did loud. Did they have a little guitar player? Oh, yeah, yeah, the original yeah, guy. The original guy, yeah, The yeah, one guy yeah, who plays those yeah. fantastic solos. Right. And, all, and they had Al Rapa on the bass and, and wow. Rudy Pompeo on the saxophone. Huh. And... They had a couple of different drummers that I remember they did replace their drummers in, in Mexico. Uh, but it was quite a, you know, quite a shocking thing to see the first rock and roll band in, in history. You wow. Know? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and being a kid, and of course, I, I got totally into it. Yeah. And I became a, a heavy duty fan of Bill Haley, of course. Yeah. Uh, Bill Haley eventually moved to Mexico. Did he really? Yeah, he married a Mexican girl. Wow. And he spent a long time there. He even recorded several LPs in Spanish. Wow. And I, I, I would no recommend idea. you to look for some of the Bill Haley stuff in Spanish because it's really funny, it's really well made. And, uh, that is wild. And he's got his, his American accent on that. It's kind of cute. <laughs> but he's singing in Spanish with his band, with That's his original amazing. band. Wow. You know? So, yeah, but when uh, I guess Bill Haley was not quite as popular anymore in the U.S., and in Mexico, they just adore him. Yeah. And I guess he liked the vibe there. So more just relaxed and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he moved to Mexico and, and he played in, in normal theaters, you know, yeah. and shows and stuff all over. So we became very familiarized with him. And how old were you when you were in your first band? I was, was I, I signed my first recording contract at 13 years old. Wow. With CBS. Okay. So, so okay. there was a contest of bands, mm -hmm. teenager bands. We were all in our teens or earlier. I mean, I was, as I said, 13 years right. old. And the winners of the contest were the groups that are featuring this record. You know, those hooligans and the Sparks, which was my band. Right. Los Hooligans, which were quite popular later on. Now, didn't you join that band as well? Later on, yeah. yes. I played Los Hooligans and right. Los Sparks and all that. So this was really the first record I made, and this was from 1961. Wow. You see? Crazy. But I had my uh, my first uh, recording contract, as I said, uh, around that time, 1960 or 59, yeah. around that time. So then after that, we did this one. Which is also a Colombia record, right? Yeah, there it is, Colombia. Uh, and this is called Rock, Rock, Rock. Hmm. And there you see young little 13, 14-year-old Firo <laughs> right there. I didn't even have a uniform, so I had yeah. to wear a shirt. Now, was this the same group that went to Los Angeles? No, no, that was much later. Okay. This, this is Los Sparks. Right. And I'll keep going with this. You know, I play another band called Lost Juniors. Okay. Which there I am again when I was wow. a young guy, you know. Yeah. 
and uh, you know, playing LPs, playing rock and roll, and loving it in those times. And then I started getting more sophisticated, and uh, and joined a more sophisticated and better band called Los Sinners. Ah, okay. That's the band that came to the U.S. Okay, that's the one. Yeah, Los Sinners decided to come and try our luck in the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, one of our one of the band members was American anyway, and he was a wonderful musician who shows a lot of things. He was an educated musician. He, I think he went to Berkeley and wow. learned saxophone, piano, all that. Right. And uh, so we decided to change our names and call ourselves Los Tequilas hmm. because we were coming to the U.S. and we wanted a more Mexican name right. for our, our, our identity, right? right? Not to have a half English name like Los Sinners. Right. Because one thing about all, all these Mexican bands, they have the Los right. in the beginning. Yeah. Los Locos del Ritmo, Los Hooligans, Los Sinners. Los it's Lobos. Los Lobos. I mean, there's Los, every, los, yeah. los Lonely right. Boys. Right. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Los Lonely Boys. There's always yeah. the Los That's in, right. before the name. Yeah. So, yeah, we decided to become Los Tequilas, and we came here to try our luck. And uh, we actually did pretty good. Now, how did you end up in L.A.? I mean, how did you get across the border and all that? Uh, we just went across. As tourists? The, uh, as tourists, yeah. We yeah. had, we had tourist, uh, tourist uh, papers. And, right. Uh, it was amazing because uh, this friend of uh, Tony's father, Tony is the bass player, his father had a very close friend here in the U.S., his father used to fly in the Squadron 201, who was one of the squadrons that fought with the Americans against the Japanese. Oh, okay. When Mexico joined the Allies, yeah. you know, towards the end of the war. Right. And, uh, and so they knew each other because Tony's father was in the Air Force, Mexican Air Force. Right. And this guy was a military guy. I'm doing an interview, darling. You have to leave us alone. <laughs> That's just like my cat. <laughs> so, so, so this guy, this guy, the Air Force guy, loaned us a beautiful Chevy convertible. Wow. And we used to drive around in the Chevy, and, and that's how we crossed the border. Yeah. We were on this nice Chevy convertible. So they figured they must, our, they must be okay. We had all our, all our instruments there. Really? And you're, you know, this is 1965. Right, and it was a right. much, much friendly situation, right. you know? And... I remember crossing the border, and, and the guy even asked us, are you guys, you guys play mariachi music too? <laughs> you know? Right. That was what the Border Patrol guy asked us. Yeah. And we said, no, 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 we play rock and roll. We like, they never even checked us That's or anything. That's amazing. And we went in, and, and we started playing. We actually play at the Troubadour. We play at a place called the Lazy X, who many people don't know. It was a wonderful place from the... You have to remember the Los Angeles thing in, in the 60s. The music was just happening all over yeah. the place. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you were there. You were younger. No, I was. Anyway. I mean, I was there, but I was 10 years old. Yeah, that's what so. I'm saying. You know, I was yeah. already yeah. Uh, uh, the Sea Witch. You know, the, the Gasaris, the Whiskey right. Rogo. Yeah. I mean, all this other place, the Magic Mushroom. Right. I mean, all these places. And uh, so with Los Tequilas, we managed to play in some of this well-known places and be accepted. We even play in a private club called the Daisy, which is in Beverly Hills. And right, I remember you saying that all these movie stars All these movies, I mean, you. there I am from Mexico yeah. playing for Paul Newman and right. John Woodward right, and all right, of them. Right. They, they were there in the place. Yeah. Didn't uh, you say that they would hire you guys too? They'd hire yeah, they, they, they love us. They love us yeah. for the private party. That's right. why they took us to play right. in the den. Uh, the, yeah. So then later on, we had a 
an Italian manager. Finally, we got a manager. Actually, before all this, I met Skip Taylor, who was to become Ken Heath's manager. Wow. We went to see him with my Mexican band. This is Ken Heath didn't even exist, you know. Right, right. Uh, I went to see Skip Taylor, who was a young, preppy, well-cut, you know, well-cleaned-up man uh, in... in, uh, William Morris agency, oh, which okay. is, you know, yeah, heavy time, duty. Yeah. And uh, it is amazing that I met Skip Taylor there. And eventually, a few years later, he was going to become the Ken Heat manager. And right. he actually is the one that hired me, too. He he came to see me play, you know, and did everything necessary for me to enter the band, you know. So let me ask you this. Before you joined Ken Heat, how long was Frank Cook in the band? Frank Cook, as far as I know, he, he must have been in the band about a year. About a year? Yeah. The band originally started in 1960, late 65 or early 66. Okay. So right around the time you were Yeah, here. I don't know yeah. exactly what happened there, but I know they had two other drummers before Frank Cook. Oh, okay. And they also had a couple of bass players. Huh. You know, uh, one of them, the guy that played with Spirit later. Oh, really? Yes. God, I forget his name right now. But anyway, uh, yes, so... They had a couple of bass players and a couple of drummers that I don't know really who they were. Uh, there are a co- there are some uh, website, uh, Facebook uh, pages on KMT that right. tell the whole Get story. Yeah. yeah, if you want to know, you yeah. know, I don't consider that that important because it was a, a, a band that was in the process of being right. formed. Right. And basically, Bob Hyde and Alan Wilson were. The originators, pretty much. They were the originators, and they were experts, musicologists. Absolutely. But they were not. They were not performers. Interesting. You see, they they didn't have any idea of, of performing on a stage. You but, know? but but Alan Wilson was already playing instruments. He played all over the place. He played trombone. He played the guitar. He right. was a, a, a genius on the yeah. harmonica, right. and uh, his singing and all that. And uh, but he wasn't playing on stage. He was not playing on the stage. Oh, okay. You know, he maybe play a few right. you know coffee house type gigs. Interesting. Like that. But okay. Would, so I guess that's what they decided to make a. a Job band. And was this the same with, with Alan Wilson? I mean, with uh, uh, Bob Height and, and uh, Henry Vestine being That's record later. collectors? Yeah, Henry came in later. And they were, and was, they, knew, was, they knew each other because Bob also worked at the Jazzman record store. Was Bob Santa already Monica. collecting? He was oh, already yeah. collecting records. Oh, yeah. yeah. Bob started collecting when he was like five years old. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. He told me that when he was five or six, he was always fascinated with the turntables and the records. Going Interesting. And was his brother collecting as well? It started later. Okay. His brother was like a you know a copy of, of Bob in a way. Right. Right. And yeah. just a few years later, you know, yeah. Richard. Uh, so as I was saying, they started with a jug band. Yeah. Which is basically what they wanted to do. They wanted right. to play acoustic, you know, with a jug and right. the, and the. Tina Corio, we call it in Mexico, the, uh, the, the, the ju- washed-up yeah, washed bass. Washed-up yeah. bass washed and all bass. that, yeah. you know? Right. Which I used to play a washed-up oh, bass for really? a while. That was oh, a lot okay. of fun. <laughs> so anyway, that's how they started. And then I guess they decided that, you know, let's make it into a blues band. And yeah. then they started hiring different musicians that had previous experience on the stage because Bob and Alan just, yeah, you know, they, they were, were not performers. Green, yeah. They were... They were yeah. experts. They were yeah. musicologists. They were record right. collectors. 
nerds. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. even if Bob looks like a badass yeah. uh, wrestler or something, well, the, the he junk, was really the a junk nerd. The jug thing was really a popular thing when you're talking about. Oh, in, yeah. In the yeah. mid-60s, jug bands were like everywhere. A lot of people that like yeah. blues music Anyone that liked blues history, had a jug band. The history yeah. of, of this kind of music, you know, the jug bands were happening. They and were, that's, yeah. And that's what Bob, and I guess eventually came, he used to be a, a jug band. Right. I mean, so was Joe. Joe Country Joe was... They also... Yeah, had I, a I recall band. that, too. I, uh, I know about the it. The Jim Queskin jug band. That's right. You know, so so that's... A, I believe Bob met Alan when John Fahey invited Alan to come to California. Mm -hmm. John Fahey was writing a book about Charlie Patton. Right. And all his stances and all his uh, very complicated music. Yeah. When you try to analyze Charlie Patton music, by the way, Charlie Patton is the father of all of us, okay? Absolutely. He's probably the first blues uh, performer recorded. Well, he know, was definitely know. before people like uh, uh, Robert Johnson and... Uh, yeah, a little son, before He was that. more of a, the yes. Sunhouse generation. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And by the way, Charlie Patton's father was a Mexican. <laughs> was he? Yes. Wow. Yeah, that's why you see his face is not really right, all right, right, right. African American. He was kind of, kind of a, a light-skinned black guy. That's yeah. right, that's right. Yeah. So I like this. He probably learned the guitar from his father. That could be. That's possible. Yeah. You know, it's possible. And I know that he was a huge influence on people like Helen Wolf. Oh, yeah, and on, uh, on everybody, on, on all everybody, us. I mean, Sam yeah. Heath, and Robert you know, Johnson, yeah, all of them. Of course. Them. Yeah. So uh, we were talking about Charlie. Oh, yeah. So John Fahey was having trouble with this book about Charlie Patton. Uh -huh. And he needed somebody that really knew how to make the stanzas, that's how they call it, and how to write the music and oh, analyze okay. it and explain the 12, 13 and a half, uh, uh, instead of 12-bar blues, you know, 13 and a half, 14-bar, right, right. 15-bar blues. And it was all country that. blues, yeah. Exactly, the yeah. way the country guys used to play right. it. And uh, so that's, that's how Alan came to California. John Fahey invited him to come from Boston because he needed somebody that knew that much. But those two were already friends from what I understood. I don't know much about the past yeah. of John and Alan, but uh, they must have been already communicating with each other. Yeah, the, st the story I'd heard was that those guys were the ones, they were the ones that were kind of going and touring the South and looking for a lot of these guys. Yes, along yeah. with other guys, and Henry right. also included right. in that. Henry was sometimes. in that, and I think Dick Waterman. Dick was, Waterman, yeah, of course, one, yeah. one of the ones, too, right. of course. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I guess it was in those times that he rediscovered Skip James, right? Mm -hmm. And Son House. And Son House, and I heard that Alan Wilson was the one that had to reteach re Son, Son House how his to music. play those music. He was in a songs. hospital right. suffering from alcoholism, right. and he was very old and damaged. Right. So they had to sit Alan next to him yeah. and teach Son House how to play Son House again yeah. so he could come to the Newport Jazz Festival. Now, did they find him in Rochester, do you know? Isn't that where you they know, found him? I don't, I, know the, I don't know the details. Yeah. But I, I know, so. I think he was, one of them was in Tunica, Mississippi, in a hospital. Yeah. I don't know if it was some house or the other guy. I, I, you know, I don't know Skip all the James, details. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah it could have been yeah. Skip James, too. Yeah. Well, Skip, you know, you, you, what a great talent, but also what a waste, you know, because of, he drank so much. And right. right. Killed himself, destroyed himself, yeah. like many others. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's the story about Alan. So in a way, I guess Alan must have visited 
the Jasmine record shop. Mm. Oh, okay. And that's where he met Bob Hyde. Interesting. So they struck up a friendship. They struck up a friendship yeah. because they started talking blues talk and right. record sure. talk. Yeah. And it was never ending. I mean, those guys will talk about blues and about music. Yeah. You know, they, they will never stop because they right. knew so much. Was Henry kind of like that too? Henry was kind of that, a, l yeah. a little less than them. Yeah. But Henry's collection was fantastic too. That's what I heard. I heard him yeah. and him and Bob had the two biggest collections. Yeah, you in the know, world yeah. Bob's Bob's was bigger than Henry's. Was it? Yeah. But Henry, you know, part of Henry's collection is still in in South Carolina, I believe. Is it really? I, I had to talk to his son and see what happened to his, uh, especially his LP collection. Most of the seven years were sold already. Right. So basically, that's how the band got formed, and that's how they met Henry Vestine and the three of them. The jock band was already going, right? The, the, can, the canned Heath band was already going, and that's when yeah. they joined Henry. Mark Andes, that's the name of the bass player. Oh, okay. Now I'm not familiar with him. Mark Andes, yes. Huh. Yeah, okay. he, he played later with Spirit. Okay. And, uh, and th so that's how the whole thing started. And then they hired Frank Cook, and they recorded the first record. And they went to Monterey, the first Monterey Pop Festival, with Frank. Oh, so that wasn't you on that? I, I was not okay. there. All right. That's in 66, yeah. I believe. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was 67, I think. Or 67, 67 early. 67, yeah. Because I came in in October of 67. Okay. See, a lot of things happened to the band then. That's when the band got busted in Denver. Okay, and for, that for is marijuana. a great story. Let me, let me pause this for one second, do second part. Okay, so we were talking about... Denver and being on the road and rooming with Alan Wilson. Yeah, that, that, that was uh, that was a good one. Yeah, and um, so w when you guys when you after Denver did you guys like start doing full on tours for long? We worked so Wilson? hard, you know. If popularity comes, we had our first hit record. And what was your first hit on the road again? On the road, okay. You know, and, yeah. uh, inspired by John Lee Hooker. Yeah, uh, Floyd Strait Jones. And yeah, Floyd Jones, yeah, of right. course. Floyd Jones for the lyrics a little right. bit, you know. And then the John Lee Hooker right. influence of right. playing in the one chord, playing the boogie yeah. kind of right. a lick. And then we also use the tempora effect because in those times, oh, that's we right. were including that's the right. Indian that's thing. Right. Yeah, the and, 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 and one of the things that Alan and Bob used to insist on and, and, and love was the drone. Right. And that's the blues, too. I mean, there's so is. much blues music. There that's is right. one key, the drone. Right. John Lee Hooker will be the, the, the best expert and yeah. the master yeah. of that. Yeah. You know, because John also changed sometimes. He will go to the fifth chord and fourth. Right. Only when I want to. Yeah. I don't change because I don't want to change. Not because I don't know. It was sort of like say. lightning. Same thing with lightning. I don't want yeah. to change. Yeah. That's why I always say John Lee Hooker, he kind of, established, he broke the rules on the blues, but at the same time, he also established other rules mm -hmm. in the blues. Sure did. You know, he was a disruptor. Yes. Definitely. Yes. And using that word now, they use it in your now times, a disruptor. What a better disruptor than, than John Lee Hooker well, coming he was, here saying, I'm going to play with one core. And he was really, and he was really kind of like a one man, he was, to me, he was a one man band. The way well, he yeah, played, the, the foot, and between the, the foot and the and the the way he could fill up all that sound on the guitar with the different tunings yeah. and yeah. stuff like that. So you know, so yeah. as, as you as you know by listening to Cam Heath music, John Lee Hooker's influence is like, I don't know, more than fifty percent. Oh yeah, 
yeah. or all the music we made. Yeah. I mean, we always loved John Lee Hooker. And another thing is, I actually was aware of John Lee Hooker before I even came to the U.S. because of Javier Batiste. He had a few ah, records okay. of John Lee right. Hooker. Yeah. So I would bring my Jimmy Reed record, and he would have his John Lee Hooker records, and we would listen to them. Right. It was really, right. really something. So yeah. yeah, on the road again happened, and we had we enjoyed popularity on a scale that I never even expected. I never even wanted it. Yeah. I yeah. came to this country because I wanted to play black music. Right. I was already in heaven at the Tomcat Club. Right. You know, <laughs> I just bought myself a five or 400. Right. And yeah. we were, I was playing five nights a week. I mean, I was great. You know, yeah. we had a band called The Creations, Larry Parents and The Creations. Two guys from Tennessee, a Texan, and two Mexicans. Somehow, <laughs> Somehow this band sounded like a black band, you wow. know, it was yeah. amazing yeah. because we were in this club where most of the guest artists were black. Right. But they accepted us. Yeah. And uh, it, it was just a wonderful part of my life, you know, before Camp Heath. Right. But then, as I said, we had on the road again and we started touring and we went to Europe for the first time. And that's when everything exploded. I mean, we became, well, I guess in 68, we probably were America's number one band. I don't know, 68, 69. I don't know if there was any other band, you know, doing as much work as we were doing. Right, right. You know, there were a lot of bands coming up still, but. Now you, I saw a thing about that Sunnyland Slim was driving a cab and Driving guys... a cab, and you know, I even have somewhere his, his card. His card, yeah. I have his personal card that says, the blues and rock and roll. Really? On Sunnyland Slim's I wish time? I could find I mean, yeah. I have it somewhere. If you but give me some you, time, I'll show did you. Guys, did you guys find him in Chicago? I mean, did he pick you, you know, up and give you a the, ride? The history, I don't know if I was in that car okay. myself because I know he played on the boogie with Ken Heat Records, so I must have been there. I don't recall. Yeah. But according to the story is that we found him on a, on a drive in a taxi car. Mm -hmm. And when we saw his name on the on the meter... Right. Right. Is when Bob must have blown it. Are you are Honey Sunny Land Slim? My yeah. God, you know. Wow. And then we they invited him to. I, I don't know if I was there, but I know they invited him to to join join us and play with us. Right. And we feature him in uh, a couple of songs. One of the ones is Turpentine Moon. Right. From Boogie with Camp Heat. Right. Okay. And that's yeah. that's the Sunny Land there. You and know? you're on that record. Yeah, I'm yeah. on that record okay. too. Yes. That's and then the and then Gate Mouth Brown or something did something in Europe with you guys. Yes, we did. Kinda... We did. A, we did a record with Gate Mouth Brown and with Memphis Slim. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. All on the same night. Wow. And this was kind of forceful. You know, all the pressure to playing with a, with a band. You know, I uh, we were playing at the Olympia in Paris. Right. And uh, after the gig, this uh, French promoter called Philippe Walt, a real tall guy, really kind of funny, very nice guy. Mm -hmm. He says, I have a castle and a studio in the castle, and we would like to invite you if you want to, to play and maybe make a record with Memphis Slim. Wow. And Carclarence Gatemouth Brown. Crazy. And, you know, we were really tired. Yeah. And we said, yeah, we'll do it anyway, you know, take some Benzedrine or something. And, <laughs> and, 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 and we went there to the castle yeah. and we managed to do the record, which this didn't work out as good. I'm going to tell you the story because it's really funny. Okay. When we were actually doing the record with, with uh, Gatemouth. Yeah. 
you have to realize that Henry Vesting was kind of a southern guy, and he had the Confederate flag. Oh God, yeah. Tattooed on that his couldn't arm. have gone over big. That didn't go over really, really well with no. with Clarence. I mean, yeah. Gatewald Brown was also kind of uptight. He was a sheriff. Yeah, that's what I. He heard. was a sheriff yeah, in I New Mexico. That. Right. He didn't really like this smoking, you know, weed smoking hippies and right. shit. You right. know what I mean? Long hair. But you know, right. he did. He did. He did respect the canned heat because mm. some of those guys, even if we, you know, were inspired by them. They knew about Cam Heat and right. they respected the, the yeah. fact that we were doing this music. Right. So Clarence gets up to go to the bathroom and Henry goes, his guitar is out of tune. I'm going to tune it. <laughs> so now you Big know. Mistake. There is a guy with a Confederate yeah. flag Tuning and with a southern guitar. accent yeah. from, right. from South Carolina and all yeah. that. And, and Clarence comes back from the bathroom and notices that somebody messed with his guitar. Yeah. Boy, that created a whole scene. Who messed with my guitar? Who tuned my guitar? You don't touch my guitar. And Henry goes, well, it was out of tune. What do you want? It wasn't out of tune. I know how to tune my guitar. Well, anyway, it went on and off, on and off, and the whole vibe of the session, you know, got real ruined. uptight, yeah. So yeah. when you hear that record, it's actually... Clarence Gatemouth Brown, and some French musicians. Ah, okay. I think there's only one cut with canned heat. Really? Yeah. The rest, they, they, they didn't even use, use it. it huh? Wow. Because I guess the guitar was out of tune or the yeah. vibe was not there. Yeah. But he decided to put it out and call it Clarence, Clarence Gatemouth Brown with the heat. Yeah. And he, also, he only used one or two songs. I, I, I cannot recognize anything there. Wow. I know I didn't play on it. Huh. It sounds like French musicians. Yeah. Give me a break. But I mean, there, is, there, there is there is a, a, a TV show with That's you. a different thing. Right. The show that is around, that is all over the place, that's right. the Montreux Jazz Festival. That's right. That's right. Again, with Clarence Gatebout Brown. Right. You know, and this is already after, I guess, they work it out, Henry and him. They were friends again. And so, and so you guys backed them. So we backed him at the right. uh, at the Montreux Jazz Festival, right. and that's what is filmed. It's filmed, and you can I see. I think it. he plays harmonic on that. He plays harmonic right. on that. He was yeah. great. I mean, man, he right. was. He's so talented. He played the, the oh, yeah, fiddle. The violin. He, he played the violin. He played the guitar. Uh, he was a great guitar. band leader. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, played the harmonica. Yeah. All that. It, it was really a privilege, and I'm I'm so glad that we have that uh, video around. You know, it's. it's Still available even in our right. in my right. website and all that, yeah. you know of of, of Gabe Mouth Brown with the canned heat, but that was live. Yeah, that's not the recording. Not the recording. The recording yeah. in the castle yeah. when the fight with the you know <laughs> the southern guy with the black guy. You know what I mean. So now the the the, the Hooker and Heat album was that nineteen seventy? Yes, that's before Alan died. Right before Alan died, was that the last thing Alan did? Yes. Yeah. Yes, and he didn't even get to hear the last product. Oh, that's sad. He didn't get to mix it or anything. Yeah. Uh, actually, the mixing was done in London, I believe. Huh. Uh, we met John Lee Hooker in Portland. We were arriving at the airport, picking up our stuff, and we see this black guy picking up an old guitar mm -hmm. and the carousel, a couple of carousels away from us. And all of a sudden, Bob goes, that's John Lee Hooker. And you met Albert Collins the same way. Albert Collins, that's different. Yeah, but that was in an airport, wasn't no, it? No, no, no. Albert oh, Collins, we actually was, okay. went looking for him. Oh, okay. I thought it was in an airport. Okay. 
we, we met John Lee Hooker at the, at the Portland airport. He was picking up his guitar, and we ran towards him. I mean, we were so excited to actually meet John, you know, because we've been listening to his music all right. the time. I mean, right. <coughs> so we went to see him. Hi, John, we're the Canned Heat Band. We really love your music. I, 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 I like the way you boys boogie. <laughs> that's that's what he said. He wow. knew about yeah, us. Yeah, that's awesome. I like the way you boys boogie. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's when the idea came to make a record. Right. You know, Bob says, man, we have to make a record together. Right. And this must have been 1968 or 69 because it yeah. took almost a year or more for the record the companies. Yeah. The record companies. That was the problem. Right. John was an ABC ABC Paramount or whatever right, the label right. was, and we were in Liberty. Right. So they had to do the negotiating and all that. But finally, we did the session, and it was a remarkable session. It was wonderful. And it really brought his career out big time, Yes, because right? that time that we met him, he was playing in some shit little gig, you yeah, know, really probably making $50 himself, or something yeah, by right, himself. Right. Nobody knew about John Lee Hooker, right. you know. Which is incredible. I know, I know. So, so, so thank God that we, we, we yeah. made that record. He got yeah. more recognition. Right. And then Whiskey and Women became a hit. And it's a great record. It's a good record. It yeah. is really a good record. And, you, you know, guys, most of them are first a lot, of, lot of simpatico between, Alan especially and him and Alan, but also just the whole band, the band sound on Yeah, and record. one thing about John, that he didn't like harmonica players very much. I know. That was one of the few records where it worked. You know that? Oh, yeah. But he liked Alan. Yeah. Because yeah. he didn't like harmonica players that paid too much. He used well, to you say, know what the deal was? They paid too much. They made too much noise. He used Alan to say. really followed him. Alan like knew. a hawk. Alan knew exactly yeah. what John would yeah. want. Yeah. You see? He, he and laid I, back and waited for. And that's all right. The that's right. So yeah. I, I, I didn't know if you knew that about John, but he didn't like harmonica no, players. No, I knew because that. I, yeah. I asked him to, when, when I played with him later, right. you know, I played with, in his band for, right. for the last two years of his life. Okay. I was his drummer, too. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember one time there was a couple of harmonica players that wanted to sit in, and he didn't let him. Yeah. yeah. Only the ones he knew. I think he'd let Muscle White sit in or... People know. he knew, yeah. that, you know, but yeah. otherwise he wouldn't go for it. Right. So I can understand that. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, the, the sessions with John were fantastic. I mean, it was great to be able to play just just on the moment. You know, mm -hmm. he didn't like to play more than two takes. Right. You know, that's a blues thing. That's a blues thing. He used to yeah. call it stupid shit. Right. You, you want to do more than two takes. That's a stupid shit. Right. right. You know, so it's wonderful. I mean, yeah. the, the record just shows it there. And then Whiskey Women became a hit on the black stations. Wow. And, man, was I proud of myself that time that I'm driving down the 101 or somewhere, and I hear KGFJ. Right. You remember KGFJ? Yeah, sure I do. The Magnificent yeah. Manicure. You bet. I sure Magnificent do. Magnificent Manicure and KGFJ right. playing Tan Heat and John Lee Hooker. That's awesome. You know, Whiskey and Women. Whiskey and Women was a hit. Right. In the black stations. Yeah. You know, so that, that made me so yeah. proud. That you is know? awesome. Yeah. It was wonderful. And then we did yeah. touring with him, too. We played at the Carnegie Hall with him. And wow. We did a lot of touring with him and, and mm -hmm. uh, a lot of partying with him, too. He was a character. A lot man. of things. It was a character. Yeah. And then and Bob and the boys boy. were, I mean, you know, one time they put MDA on his beer. Oh, my God. We got him high. Uh -huh. He used to smoke a little bit now and then. Did he? Yeah. He smoked yeah. a little weed now and then, and he drank beer. 
Right. So this time we, I don't know who, I think Bob put a little MDA on his, on his beer. Right. And John all of a sudden said, I want to do what I say. <laughs> He's never done what I say, but that night that he took MDA, he decided to do what I say. And man, the version he did of what I say was just fantastic. Was it? I've heard it live. I never heard it recorded. Right. But it was, baby, what I say. Baby, what I say. The whole one core thing without changing. Uh, and then he will still go, tell your mom, tell your pop. Baby, what I say. <laughs> he definitely made things his own. He made it his own. Yeah. And it, it, yeah. it, uh, on top of the MDA, I mean, he just came out with this That's new funny. idea, you know? Yeah. We had a great time with John Lee Hooker. What a great. So uh, you got to tell us about Woodstock. Well, what else do you want to know? I, I told the story about Woodstock many stole, times. I told it a lot of times. But now, now, as I recall, you guys... What was the deal with not being filmed? Was that Skip? No, no, no. Or, or did they just say... Well, one of the things is Skip signed the film contract loaded on acid on the stage. Wow. I remember we were playing. Yeah. And I turned to see him. He had taken acid before we took the helicopter. <laughs> so he was buzzing all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Skip, Alan, and Bob took acid. Yeah. Larry, Harvey, and me didn't. Yeah. But the three of them were loaded on acid. So I remember I'm playing and I turn and I see my manager with all these papers there. And Chipmunk is there. Chipmunk was right, the... Right, right, right. The, uh, the promoter, yeah. One of the, no, not promoter, but the... The uh, MC. The MC. Right, right. Chipmunk and the promoter was there too, the guy with the motorcycle, Michael, Michael, Michael. Lang. Yeah, right. And skip there, you know, loaded on acid, signing contracts on the stage as we play. I mean, Sweet. that's what stuck for you. How was how was the concert? I mean, how did you guys feel like your performance was? Oh, you know, we play as loud and as hard as we could because we were trying to reach this right. half a million people. You know, right. and we were already playing pretty loud in those. But you nights. guys did get filmed. We got filmed, not completely. I think they, they ran out. What happens is that they ran out of film in our performance. Oh. So that's why some of the solos and some of the songs are not there. Right. But they were, then they, they ended up using Going Up the Country as the theme song. Yeah, but they used the, the record. Oh, not the okay. live, right, not the right, live right, 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 right. Then later on, you see, what happens is when they release the film, they chopped a lot of the important bands, including ourselves. Right. Because the film was released by Warner Brothers. Then we go with the, promo, the, the, the corporate bullshit, you know? Yeah. yeah. Warner Brothers wanted to show the film three times instead of two times a day. So they decided to cut Paul Borefield out. Janice right, I, Joplin, knew, I knew that they all got cut. Yeah, right, I knew I mean, that. Yeah. Right. Bands that were, that were more important right. than the bands that they kept. Right. But right. we were not Warner Brothers acts. Right. They wanted to keep their acts in right. the film. Right. That's the politics and so bullshit. It's very political, you know? yeah. Political. How they yeah. how there they remove Janice Joplin and they remove Paul Borderfield and yeah. can't hit and, they, and leave, and they, and leave they the had... incredible string band. Right. You right. know, and right. someone, you know, give give me right. a break. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah, anyway. Weird. Yeah. So they cut they cut us all out so they could show the movie three times instead of two. That infuriated the director. Yeah. 
he got pissed off about it. He couldn't he couldn't control it because he was not the producer. Right. And MGM were the producers. Right. Wow. So later on, they came out with what is called the director's cut. Okay. And that's got you guys. That one has us backing, playing all kinds of stuff. Okay. And it has Paul Butterfield. Right. And I think it has Janice too. Wow. The director's cut, if you're going to see Woodstock, you better see the director's cut, not right. the original film right. that was shown on the theaters. Yeah. Because that's really not the real thing. Well, I know with Joe, he that. told me that the only reason he was in it was because he played that little, I mean, his band played, the Fish played. But they only have him doing the break where he does fixing a die rag, and that was a totally impromptu thing. You mean with Country Joe? Yeah, I'm saying when Joe did... You mean the fish fix, was not in the, in, the, the, in the film? The fish is not in the film. See, there you go. I didn't yeah. know about that. There, yeah. you know, so Barry Milton was with them. Right. They aren't in the film. See, they so caught him out film, again but, because yeah. they were not MGM, yeah. MGM right. acts. But so. he was lucky because his part... At least got in the because film. of that song. They yeah, give me an F, give me a U. Yeah, you know that's yeah, the most famous. Yeah, yeah. I guess after going up the country, Joe's song is the most. Woodstock. Well, pretty, it was pretty the Woodstock, known for Woodstock. The Woodstock yeah. song, you know, pretty Woodstock. Yeah. Of course, going up the country is really the theme. That was the theme. The thing. Yeah. Going up the country, up right. to the Catskill Mountains. Right. You know exactly. Yeah. So now you guys just played festivals left and right that whole time. I tell you one thing about Canned Heat, and I'm not bragging. Canned Heat has played more biker festivals, more blues festivals and pop festivals than any other band around. Yeah. Why? Because those are the three sources of work that we get. We had hit records, so that makes us part of the 60s nostalgia trip. Right. We're also known as a blues band which that also gets us into the blues market sometimes. Right, right. You see? And then you have the biker connection. And then we have the bikers. Yeah. Which yeah. is a part of the of the whole yeah. thing. And we have played more biker festivals than anybody. Wow. I mean, I claim that after, you know, what, 54, 55 years playing with this band. I cannot think of any other band that has been active and playing so many festivals. And you, I and you guys were, like, managed by the Hells Angels? Is that right? For a while, yes. Yeah. There, there, is, there was a time when Skip Taylor took a 20, 25-year break. Wow. And uh, at, that, at that time is when I was managing the band myself. You know, from the moment Skip left, I pretty much took over because Bob was not the kind of guy wasn't a business to, guy. To, yeah. to deal yeah. with the contracts and the right. agents and all that. Right. And I, I had a little more of business savvy. And mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I just took over because they didn't know what to do. Really. Right. Right. They were really musicians. And you and guys kind of had people coming in and out. I mean, you had Henry leave in what, 1969? Yeah. And then, yeah, Larry left too. Larry and Harvey left right. and, played and went with John Mayle. Right. So then we got Henry back. Right. Because the original reason why Henry left was because of Larry. Right. Larry and Henry never got along. Well, they got along in the beginning, but later on, Henry's drug intake yeah. was a little too much. So were they always kind of in and out? And, and if it was Larry, it wasn't Henry, and if it was Henry, it wasn't Larry. <coughs> yeah, but there, was times, oh, right. there were times when we, we, got it, we got him together again. You did? In okay. the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. We, we got him together and we, we play and we continue. And then later on, Larry again, for the fourth or fifth time, he pushed Henry out of the band 
And that's when Junior Watson came in. Right, right. Because Larry wanted us to play more original, uh, traditional blues. blues. Traditional blues. Henry yeah. didn't right. want to do that anymore. Henry right. believed that Kent Heath was a rock blues band. Right. And he wanted to play loud and, and, and yeah. you know. But I remember opening for you guys one time when it was both of those guys. Larry and Henry. No, it was Henry and Junior. Yes. That, now, that was a great unit. That was one yeah. of the best lineups I put together. I want to say it was probably 95. Yeah, around the 90s, yeah. yes. There was a time where I, yeah, this is already when Larry's not there. Larry's playing right. with uh, Tom Waits right. and with the Hollywood Fats Band. Mm -hmm. So I came with the idea of having Watson and Henry because they are both so different. Yeah. You see? Right. And the band sounded powerful. I, I took that band to Europe and I took him to Australia and we did great. And we played here too. That's when you saw us. Right. And I used to call that band the heavy artillery. Right. Because it was, it felt like heavy artillery. I mean, that's what we call that unit, the, the heavy artillery lineup. Well, I remember um, backstage, I'd never seen somebody with the DTs like like Henry. Oh, on the Yeah, he was literally like that. I mean, and that, was, that was in the 90s. I that mean, was later. 95, yeah. Well, he died yeah. in 97. Anyway, so I, I want to show you this letter. Because okay. It's a fantastic letter. One of the times that I believe Larry was very unfair. Mm -hmm. This is one time in, in our lifetime that Henry actually stopped drinking and stopped doing hard drugs. Mm -hmm. He was actually just smoking weed. Mm -hmm. And he was playing great and he was feeling healthy. He was not drinking anymore. And then without a real reason, Larry pushed him out of the band. Hmm. And this is the letter he sent me. If you want to read it for the sure. folks. Okay. Okay, so... It says, Dear Fido, too bad my job was for sale to the highest bidder. It's also my identity. I am the Can't Heat guitar player. If you get tired of being Larry's sideman and want to play some Can't Heat music, I'll be here. Please send my copies of the CD, My Legacy. I sent my tax stuff to Shirley a month ago. Please ask her to return them as I won't be able to, as I won't be able to pay. Henry. And then, Viva PLO. Palestine Liberation Organization. Oh, okay. Because Larry's a Jew. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> because Larry was a Jew. Oh, my that's what, God. That's one of the, one of the funniest yeah. parts of the letter. They really Viva had a PLO. Few, they really had a feud you know? going, didn't they? <laughs> that's great. That's so funny. Viva that PLO. Fun. <laughs> During the times of the, you know, of, yeah. uh, uh, Arafat. Arafat, right. yeah. The right, Palestine right. Liberation and Larry being the Jew and right, Henry being the right. southerner, you know, Viva Pielo. So I have I, mean, a, I got I have some a, incredible letters here, by I the have, way. I have a question look about... Look at the original. Uh, okay, which is this? That's going up the country, baby. Wow, look at that. Now, did Alan play the flute on that? No. Who played it? Uh, the first recording we did with the flute was Tank Harrigan. Really? You know who Tank was? The no. baritone player of the Ray Charles band. Really? Wow. That's the original. Huh. But then Alan didn't like it that much. He was a little bit out of tune. Uh -huh. And Alan was really special about it too. So he decided he wanted to hire somebody else. And he hired, gosh, what's his name? I have a, a senior moment right now. Uh, I'll think about it. 
Yeah, I mean, I always he hired, thought it was... He hired another... Paul... Paul Horn. Paul Horn, yeah, I've heard of Paul, Paul Horn. Paul Horn, that's real the famous, real famous jazz very, player. Very, very classy, classy right. jazz player. Right. I cannot tell the difference between the Tank version and the Paul Horn version. Interesting. Yeah. I feel the Paul Horn version is more exact, more perfect. Right. Okay? Right. And, but that's what Alan wanted. So so we did two two versions of it, you know, the, the Paul Horn version, which is the one in the later versions of the record, and the original with... Uh, I always thought it was a pan. I always thought it was a pan flute or something. The original was a pan flute. Was it the one with okay. uh, with, with Henry Thomas? Oh, really? Okay. Henry Thomas yeah. is the original going down That's south. What I thought. Yeah. That was going down okay. south. That was the name of the song. Right. Which, by the way, they 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 blame us some of the purists and bad people that don't like Kane. He they blame us for. They claim that we plagiarize the uh, plagiarize plagiarize yeah. the the, yeah. the song. You know, we copy the, uh, the the arrangement, yes, because it's a wonderful arrangement and right. wonderful music. Right. But the words, the words are Alan's. Oh, those are his lyrics. Okay. Yeah. And the lyrics are very yeah. important in a song. Sure so this is not plagiarizing or copying right. anything. There right. is the proof right there that right. Alan Wilson wrote the lyrics. That he wrote All it. his yeah. corrections yeah. and all that are here. Yeah. See, flute, flute, like intro, yeah. bridge, you know, he's right. even correcting there. Yeah. That's amazing you have that. So I wanted to get into the thing with Alan. Um, you have to see this other letter. Okay. Which <laughs> one is this? This is another really... Uh, the two drunks making a bet. The okay. one of them will lose 50 pounds or something. Yeah, 50 pounds yeah. within the pint of 90 days, and the old one will stop drinking. Is this so, between Henry and Bob? Henry and Bob. We were at the Hilton in Okinawa. We were playing actually in Okinawa, of all places. And, of course, there is a letter. It's such a funny letter that I kept. Okay, so... I, Bob Hyde, do hereby agree to lose a total of 50 pounds between the time of 90 days. If I, the end of above, stop, I don't know, period, I, none of lost the weight, they above, I mean, they, they were drunk, both of them, yeah. making this <laughs> bet. drunk. <laughs> I studied the amount of loss of weight within this specified. I hold no liability towards Henry Vestine to stop drinking any alcohol. Otherwise, I hold no such little liability. Liability? Liability. And yeah. then he signs it. They're both high. <laughs> I agree to the above. Conditions, if yet, Henry Vestine. That's great. Witness by John Paul, 1980. Crazy, yeah. I mean, the fat guy making a bed with a drunk. <laughs> he will lose 50 pounds in 90 days, and the drunk will stop drinking. And I have a feeling it never happened on either. It never happened. And this, one, this, yeah. this, this letter, I, I ended up with it because it's just funny. Right, right. And just the fact that it has the Hilton Okinawa. That's great, yeah. You know, I'm telling you. Oh! Wait a minute. Now, we were talking about the bust. These are the boys right there in front of the... Is that the police station? Yes, that's at wow. the police station. And uh, I'll, I'll read you what it says underneath. Hold this. Okay. It says there... Members of the California Blues Band, the Can't Heat, as they pleaded innocent in Denver to marijuana possession... From left to right, you know, Laurie Statman does skip and all that here. Right. Frank Cook, Henry, Larry, and Bob. 
I don't know where Alan is. Alan is not there. Alan, maybe they I think get Alan is in here. No, that's Alan, not Alan. No, that's that's Frank Cook. Oh, then who's this guy? That's Skip Taylor. Oh, that's Skip. Okay, so maybe he didn't get arrested. Maybe Alan was yeah. in the woods. Could be. That's Could possible be. that Alan was in the woods. Yeah. And I have the article yeah. here. Right. The Rolling Stone article about John Gray, the famous sheriff. Right. The hit, the hit song on Denver, led by Detective John Grain, well known as the Wild Earp of the West, Jeez. for his promise, I'm going to rid Denver of all long-haired people. The serious narcotics officer apparently conducting a concerted bust and hassle program to stifle a growing scene. Jeez. I mean, the whole thing, John Gray and, and long hair, the yeah. heat is on in Denver. Yeah. There it is. There is the boss. Crazy. Wait a minute. This is another... Okay, this is one side of the picture with Skip. Right. And this is another one without Skip and with the attorney. Oh, that's the attorney for Salazar. The, for Hand Heat? Yeah. Can't he? So I guess Alan... I don't know what happened to Alan. He must have not been charged. I, let me see if I have another picture yeah. where he is on. No, I don't. So that's it. I'm glad that I'm showing you this. So, um, so after Woodstock, in 19, that was 1970, correct? 1969. 1969. Okay, so Alan was alive another year after that? Yes. Yeah. And that's when we recorded the Hooker and Heath record. Right. And we also recorded uh, Future Blues. Okay. With Harvey Mandel. Right. Okay. And that also had another hit record, Let's Work Together. Right. Which was originally written by Wilbur Harrison. Right. The same guy that wrote Kansas City. Exactly. I like to talk about yeah. this because people don't know yeah, about no, it. Yeah, no, they you know? don't. They don't. And Wilbur Harrison was, he was almost a one-man band. Yeah, he was a one-man yeah. band. And Let's Work yeah. Together, his version right. of Let's Work Together is wonderful. Right. Yeah. And of course, Bob Hyde bought that record, of course, immediately. Yeah. And played it for us. And he said, this is a great song. Yeah. He says, but we're not going to do it. We're going to wait and see if he gets a hit with it. Right. But it disappeared. Yeah. Nothing happened. Yeah. So a few months went by, and then Bob comes back to us again and says, let's try it. Yeah, that's good. And then we heard it, and we said, yeah, let's give it a Probably try. Probably made a lot of money for him, I would think. Too. Oh, he was delighted. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Wilbur Harrison yeah. was delighted with you. know, yeah. we, we made the song and became a... Huge worldwide record, sure, worldwide man. hit. It right. was actually a bigger hit in Europe and in Australia than in America. Right. In America, it was like number 10, 11. Right. But it that. got a lot of airplay, though. A lot of airplay. Yeah. And it's a, it's a classic song. It's a great song. Yeah. They use it for advertisements. They use it for movies. Mm -hmm. All that. And I hope Wilbur Harrison or his state is getting the money, you yeah. know. Yeah. But it was amazing how we recorded that song. We also recorded it almost like the John Lee Hooker sessions. Right. You know? It was recorded in mono. Yeah. I believe maybe we had two or three mics out there or something. Huh. Very old-fashioned approach to recording. Yeah. And that's why the sound is so heavy and so nice. Right, right. You know, let's work together our version. It's, it's a killer. Yeah. The drum sound, the guitar sound, the, the, the distortion, all that. And as I said, it was made on a one or two takes. I have to say... Harvey Mandel replacing Henry was a perfect move. Well, ha Harvey was very good. Because Harvey was 
uh, as close to Henry's style. The distorted, yeah. very personal they way really, of playing. They really See, played those very guys, similar. Those guys didn't sound like all the Eric Clapton's right. of the world. No, they were psychedelic. You know, And yeah. you know how we hire him, right? But, you know, Henry and Larry, of course, got into right. fights at the Fillmore West. Right. On the stage. Right. Because Henry was so loaded, he had to sit down, that he forgot what key we were playing in. You know, so, you know, he was totally loaded. So Larry goes right there on the stage, saying, I'll never play with this guy again. Yeah. This is a shame, you know. That was and, the and, end and, of and it. a few yeah. F words, yeah. you know, yeah. went by. And Henry said, I'll never play with you again either. So we had to play another set. Yeah. And we're at the Fillmore West. Like, what did you do? On. My Bluefield was there, and Harvey Mandel were there. Wow. So we asked Mike to come in, okay? And he came and sat in with us and played the whole set with us, uh -huh. and it sounded great. Talking about somebody that could play, you know, could take Henry's, right. Henry's place. Right. You didn't know that story, huh? No, I don't remember that. Yeah, no, the original guy was Mike Bloomfield. I didn't so, realize that. So we, Mike comes and plays with us, and we sounded great. Yeah. And we, you know, we were tired of Henry getting so loaded, too. Sure, you know, I of mean, course. it was yeah. always a, the weakest link, you know, messing right. with us, you know? Right. And, uh, so we delighted. We, t we come to the backstage after the set, and we tell Mike, you want to join Can Heat? We're doing real good. We're famous right now. We have three hit records. You know? Right. Well, we have two hit records, two yeah. hit records, and uh, and hit albums. Right. And uh, and Mike says, you know, I love you guys, but I am burned out from traveling with right. with, with Paul. With the electric flag. And the and electric all that. flag yeah. says, I right. don't want to travel anymore. Yeah. I can see how he felt. No, I know he. I felt feel like that, that way yeah. too. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm burned out about traveling. Right. You know, he right. he loved the music, but he didn't want to be on the road. Right. He didn't do well on the road. Well, you know, it's hard to do well on the road. Yeah, I'm it? just saying he had sleep problems. It requires so that, a special yeah. strength to be on it the does. road. It's a you hard, have to be strong. Hard gig, man. Yeah, it's a hard gig. People, people yep. think, hey, how glamorous, how nice to be on it's the road. Anything like, but. It is not. No. You know? Even the guys that do airplanes and. Yeah, no, like no. That, I, 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 we matter. can't hear. We, we have the best yeah. first class everything. Yeah. Even like that, it's, it's, it's terrible. It's still tiring. So, yeah. anyway, that's the story. So, Mike Bloomfield sat in with us that day, and uh, and we offered him the gig, and he didn't take it. So then we play a second night, and the second night we we showed up without a, a guitar player. Wow! And then Harvey was there. Wow! So we invited Harvey to sit in, and it worked out really good too because yeah. again Harvey had just done that stand back album with with Charlie Muscle, right? right. You know, who's right. a great album. Yeah, especially of the early albums. Yeah. I would put that together with the Born in Chicago with uh, with Butterfield. I right. mean, those are the two earliest. Yeah. Oh yeah. White boys from Chicago doing it. You know Definitely. what I mean? Yeah. And uh, and so Harvey came in, and that's we played, and we offered him the same gig that we offered to Mike Bluefield, and, and right. Harvey said, "Yes, I'll take it." Yeah. A week later, we were playing at Woodstock. Wow. Without rehearsing. So that was '69. Yeah, wow. We didn't rehearse. Yeah. Because we had to fly from, from there to play at the Fillmore East. Yeah. Then we played the Fillmore East, and two days later we played at Woodstock. All this with Harvey, no rehearsals. Yeah. No wow. time for rehearse. That's amazing. But you know, having Alan and Larry and me as a rhythm section. Yeah. You already had the basic. We already had that there. basic yeah. thing going you on. Thing and going Alan on. would just go and yeah. signal to Harvey, and Harvey right. would go. In Woodstock, you can tell. I mean, Larry, Harvey doesn't know the songs really. 
Really? But he's soloing yeah. around him because, yeah. you know, he's very talented. Yeah. yeah. You know? So that was the story. Well, it was, it was, it's an instrument, it was a really very appropriate uh, replacement for, for Vestia. Yeah, I think so too. Because they're very, their styles are very similar. Yeah. I know Junior told me a great story <laughs> recently about, uh, he said one time Harvey came down to sit in with you guys and Henry was in the band and Henry had been carrying this like revenge thing a bit about yeah. Harvey. For well, not like, against Harvey, against Larry. Oh, I thought it was about Harvey. No, no. Well, you know, it was some jealousy. You, jealousy you saw the letter. Jealousy. You saw that letter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you decide to stop being Larry Taylor's sideman. Right. And you right, want to play some right, canned heat right. music. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But he no. said he said uh, that, that that Henry was really out to show up Harvey that time. Yeah. I don't know if they ever played together on the stage. Let me I think, think they were playing together Maybe on that they one. did. Maybe yeah. they did that one time. That's it must have been in San Francisco. Could have one been. of the times we played there. Could have been, yeah. Yeah, but this was already many, many years ago after the... Oh, yeah, it was way after. after the conflicts, yeah. you know, and way all that after. with Larry. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. it's just been a great experience for the Canned Heat band to have all these great guitar players in the band. Yeah, well, you had you Hollywood know, Fast. We had there. Fast, we had Junior Watson, yeah. we had Harvey, we had Henry Vestine, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. And now we have Jimmy Vivino, who is very good right. too, you right. know? Yeah. So He's a good, good guy. sense a lot. Great musician and great, yeah. great singer too. Yeah. So, so when Alan died, uh, I know you guys were on your way to Europe or something. Yeah, that was terrible. And 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 he sometimes would show up very late. Well, what happened is that Alan, <clears throat> Alan, Alan, uh, Alan tried to kill himself before that. Really? He drove his. We, we got him a Volkswagen van, camper van. Right. I remember that in the book. So yeah. he could. So he could go out in the woods and do his thing and be yeah. happy. Right. The guy was depressed all the time. Yeah. He couldn't get laid. Yeah, uh, women. You know, I mean, yeah. women admire him. You guys I don't figured that, he was they, a virgin. I think. Yeah, say, something. Yeah. Like, I mean, the guy was having yeah. problems with women, and, yeah. and and that made him weird about it. You yeah. know, I guess depressed, and right. he was just depressed. You know, I don't yeah. know. A very complicated situation. So we got him this van. Uh, so then eventually, Alan went out and used to go out on the woods and do his thing. One of the times he said he just decided that he didn't want to be alive anymore, and he drove them the van off the of the road. Wow. So he crashed the van. He crashed himself. I don't know he don't I don't think he hurt himself very bad. According to the doctors later they say he, he did serve had a concussion or something. Mm -hmm. And uh so he ended up in a hospital. And that's when they they put him under psychiatric care. Oh he was okay. Wow. Okay. And they gave him some yeah. pills and some antidepressants, etc. And there are some tapes that he did out of the hospital. They are very nice. And those were the planned tapes for the future of Kane Heat, for the, hmm. the, next, uh, the next LP we were going to make. Right. Those tapes, I, I re-released some of them in our Boogie House tapes collection that I have. Wonderful stuff of Alan playing acoustic mm -hmm. in the hotel. Yeah, we call them the, the, the no hotel. I'm sorry, the hospital. We call them the hospital tapes. Mm -hmm. So, after being in the hospital for a while, they gave him his pills, and they put him in charge of Bob. Bob Hyde is not really the type of person to take care of somebody like Alan. Right. 
You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. I mean, Bob was, in these times, he was high or drunk all the time. Yeah. You know? And he was partying and being being the bear. He couldn't mm-hmm. take care of a depressed guy that was like, you know. But, you know, there was nobody else, really. Right. You know? I, I mean, I don't know what happened. I, I mean, I somehow wish Alan would have ended up in my house and not in Bob's house. Yeah. But anyway, I don't know if it would have changed things. Yeah. Alan already had planned to do something. Hmm. Now, he went up there behind the house in Topanga Canyon, and he died there of an overdose. But th- there is people that say that it was an accidental overdose. There is a possibility that it was an accidental overdose. Yeah. Because he was planning already to make the next record and all that, and he was already taking his pills. We don't know if it was an actual suicide or if it was accidental. Yeah, him trying to sleep. Or but something. but it happened. Yeah. It happened. Alan died, and as I said, we were on our way to, to Europe to play in Berlin. Uh, that was our first gig. And, uh, boy, that was still when the wall was up. We were right. playing in East, in East Berlin, yeah. Right. And, uh, and I remember we are in the airport, in the limousine, getting ready to jump on the plane, and Skip Taylor shows up and says, you know, we cannot find Alan. Everybody's mm. been calling around. Have you seen Alan? Right. You know, Alan was in the mountain. It was a kind of a mountain behind Bob Hyde's house in Topanga mm-hmm. Canyon. Uh, Bob was too fat to be able to go up and see if he was right. Alan there. You know, impossible. Yeah. Even somebody with his full strength, it's very hard to go up there. Sure. That's where Alan's body was found. Skip found his body there. And that's when Skip told us in the limousine, he says, I don't want to say this, but I think Alan is dead. Yeah. You know, he said that. Wow. And after he left us in the airplane, you know, we put us in the airplane, we went, took off without Alan. Uh, he went to Topanga Canyon to Bob's house, and that's where he found the body. Yeah. You know, and yeah. then his, the, the rest of the story is pretty much Skip's story, how he found Alan with his hands together like this in his chest. He said he was smiling. He had a smile in his mm. face. Wow. So maybe yeah. he was maybe he was maybe he was living in a well, in a, in a good way. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh so that's how it happened. And we started playing without Alan, you know, more or less it was so traumatic to be without one of our main sure, guys. Of course. You know, yeah, one of our leaders. founders, one yeah. of the leaders. Right. But we did it and then shortly after we hire Joel Scott Hill. I don't know if you've heard of him. I have heard of him. He was one of the founders of Bobby Grape. You know, an old guy. You know, he had several bands. Right. He was not totally a blues guy, but he was an excellent singer. And, you know, he was available. He was ready to do it. And we hired him. Right. I I think we could, we probably could have taken a little longer time and maybe find somebody more can heat. Right. You know? But I guess we were just working, and Joel came, and uh, Tony was playing with those bass. Larry was not in the band anymore mm-hmm. when Alan died. Uh, Tony de la Barrera was uh, the bass player at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, and he used to play with Joel. That's how that's how we okay. got it. You see, he, uh-huh. used to, he used to have a band called the L.A. Getaway, and uh, and that's how we hired Joel Scott Hill. He was with us. He recorded one record, the historical figures. Uh-huh. And ancient hits. But then again, that kind of hit was never to have a hit record again. You know? Right. That was that was it for the 
without Alan. Yeah, yeah, without Alan and all yeah. that. Yeah. Now, uh, how did you guys, Mayall and, and you guys became really close, right, when he first moved here? Well, you know, we, we, we rented a house that used to be Elvis Presley's house. Really? In, uh, in uh, behind Sunset Boulevard, around the area where the whiskey is. Okay. In one of the houses back there. A beautiful house with a swimming pool and a great big garden. Right. Bob brought his, <clears throat> his collection of 78s, took just about the whole living room. Wow. That's how many he had. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, yeah. walls, walls right. of 78. Right. John Mayo used to come visit. Uh-huh. And I remember, me personally, one time, I saw him on, on a tree, sitting on a tree, you know, dressed almost like a hippie, you know, with Indian clothing. Right. You know, leather clothing right. with Indian. Right. And I even asked, who's that guy, you know, because I couldn't really recognize him. And they told me, that's John Mayo, man. He came to visit. So I know that he hanged and he was, he, he, I guess he enjoyed being on that tree. Later on, he did a, a record called Blues and Laura Right, Daniel. right, right. And, and he even he, has a song about the bear in there. There's a song about, there. about yeah. living with a bear. Right. But what happens is that the, the Elvis house didn't last too long. Hmm. I, I guess uh, there was a breakup. Skip and John Hartman broke up. Skip kept the band and John went on his own. Mm -hmm. And... I guess they got rid of the house. They didn't rent it anymore. So Bob moved to Laurel Canyon right after the Elvis Presley house, and John Mayle visited him over there too. Mm -hmm. That's why he called the record. So they both ended up living in Laurel Canyon, both Bob and yes, Mayle. Yes, and yeah. I lived in Laurel Canyon okay. myself too. John yeah. was my neighbor. Yeah, that was a real scene. Oh, it was a wonderful thing, in too. Laurel Canyon. Yeah, there's yeah. a couple of books about Laurel Canyon. Where, uh, there are, yeah. Where they, uh, there's a new they documentary. Co they, me, they called me a lot on one of those books, too. Right. Yeah. See, now, I didn't know the thing about that Henry Vestine actually played with Zappa. Oh, yeah. Well, that's I originally no he played idea. with the Mothers of the Invention. I yeah. had no idea. Yeah, Henry. Henry was heavy. You that's know I mean? wild. And Zappa fired Henry because of the drugs. Wow. Zappa I Henry, had no Henry idea. got too loaded. He used to he used to yeah. take pills and smoke weed and all yeah. that. I'm sure Zappa wouldn't have hired him, wouldn't fire him, just for smoking pot. But it was mainly it was the, the drinking and yeah, the pills drinking and, and the attitude. Yeah. The attitude yeah. that you don't tell me what to do. I'm a great right. guitar player right, and I'll right, play right. great and, and fuck you. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean that's that's what he used to say. He used to yeah. tell that to Larry and yeah. all of us. You know. So he was like, I'll, I'll get high if I feel like it. You're not going to tell me. You had me some honorary ones in there, didn't you? Some what? Some honorary ones oh. in there. <laughs> oh, my God. You know. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's how it happened. He played with, with Frank Zappa. And there are a few pictures around in the files in the in the Facebook of hmm. Henry and the Mothers of the Invention. What a trip. I had no idea, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's wild. So, uh, so I mean, you're you are the lone survivor of Canned Heat, of the original band. I mean, it's uh, because the bear died at forty four. Yeah, and then you said Alan died at twenty seven. At twenty seven, he's one of the twenty seven. Twenty seven guys, yeah. yes. And uh, Henry right. died in nineteen ninety seven. Right, he must have been in his maybe late forties, early fifties. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's brutal. It was brutal. It was well, brutal, especially the last tour with Henry. Yeah. When he was yeah. dying, but he yeah. refused not to go. I mean, he wanted to die playing. Yeah. And yeah. and he did. He, he died overseas. He basically played the whole tour mm -hmm. 
on the day they were flying back That's from when Paris. Died. Wow. He died in Paris. Yeah. Just like I know Morrison. I know Watson told me that he... Oh, Watson he was, was the one there. found him. Yeah. No, because Dr. I wasn't there. I was in Belgium yeah. with, with Dr. Boogie. Right. But, of course, the guys left. Yeah. They, they took their airplane and they left. And right. I had to be... I had to be the one that de dealt wow. with, with Interpol, yeah. with the American embassy, Jesus. with the French police, yeah. with everything. Because yeah. uh, I showed up and I had to tell him who he was, etc. Right. Because uh, Watson and all the the rest of the band, they they catch the plane and they left. Right. So you've kind of always been in the driver's seat. I, I mean, I, I, pretty I, much. Yeah. I had to deal with Bob Hyde's death too. Right. Right. And with Henry's Same death. Thing. Yeah. You know, and almost with Hollywood Fats there too. I saw Fats only a few a day before he died. Really? Now he was in the Blasters by the time he died, though, right? I I believe so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. he was in the Blasters. Yeah, but you know what a mistake. You know, I call like Robert Lucas and Hollywood Fats and all those guys. I kind of call them Bob Heights children. Right. Right. They yeah. were almost the same thing, and they died the same. Now, way. was he, was he was was Fats in the band when Bob Hyde was still alive? Yes. Yeah. Yes, Fats played with us the tenth anniversary of Woodstock, and we did wow. that record of the tenth anniversary with Hollywood Fats so playing with us. Wow, that's seventy nine. Yeah, yeah. seventy nine, eighty, and then Bob died in eighty one. Right. By the time Bob died. Fats and Larry had quit the band already. Larry again was God, I must, I must have opened that show for you guys right before Bob died. Because I opened for you guys in 81 one time. That's before Bob died. Right. And we had another Same band there. Fats was yeah. not with us anymore. Right, there was some Henry other Henry was back. Was Hen yeah, Henry, Henry was, was back. Again, I don't, I didn't the moment, know Larry, the leaves, was. The moment yeah. Larry leaves and Fats leaves, you know, Henry comes back. Yeah. You know, that's the way it was, yeah. Crazy. Yeah, so, yeah, the children of Bob Hyde, man, they, they, you know, they, they live their life and then they die just like Bob, you know, yeah. overdoses of heroin. What a, now, now, what a terrible Robert Lucas thing. didn't die like that, did he? Yeah, Robert died of an overdose he of heroin, did? too, yes. I did not know that. Yes, yes, and Fats, too. That's, well, I knew and Fats, Bob too. Did. You know, you, you read yeah. the story in my, in right. my book. You know? Right, that's awful, man. Really bad, yeah. Yeah, well, you guys are you guys were kind of an example of, of what not you know, to do. <laughs> of what not to do. I mean, you're, the, you're the only one. You and Larry are the only ones that yeah. Well, you know, figured that out because I I I was afraid of hard drugs. I mean, yeah. I tried everything. Yeah, but not more than once. Right. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Yeah. And the only thing I still do is I still smoke weed. Right. But I, but I mean, that. everybody kind of did that. Yeah. Think, yeah. Yeah. That was. That's a lot. A lot less than. Uh, so what would be uh, what would be your advice on the music business as far as uh, the do's and don'ts and and how you can keep it together, how you can keep going on the road at your age? And well, many you're people. Seventy eight now, right? Seventy seven. Seventy seven. Okay, but I mean, you know, going on the road. Seventy seven. Sunset Strip. You remember that song? Of course. Da -da 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 -da. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, one thing they ask me always in most of the interviews is what you just asked. What kind of advice you give to young musicians, let's mm -hmm. say, people coming? What I've noticed, and I see after living the life for the last 55 years especially, my advice will be, you're going to be into music. Be into music for music itself. 
not for your desire to become famous, rich, recognized, etc. Right. Because the chances are that that will not happen. Yeah. You know, what happened to us, it was an accident almost. Yeah. There are many other drummers like me or better than me that never had that. But they had music. They had a life of music. And I had many friends, musicians, friends, colleagues from the U.S. and from Mexico that never became very famous or known, but they had a life in music. And that's the main thing. Music itself has the power. You don't need to be famous. You don't need to be rich. If you just stay with the music, the music itself will give you the power and give you the satisfaction. Because that's, that's what it's all about. It's about playing the music. If it happens that you all of a sudden get recognition and get famous and all that, that is an extra. Yeah. But that is not the reason why you should go into music. Unfortunately, when I see all these younger people, you know, the pop thing is so prevalent now times. You know, you, 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 you see the Grammys, for example, they are so different as what yeah. they used to be 15, 20 years ago. This is all selling youth and looks, not music. Or some of that music, if they can call it that. <laughs> but as I say, that is basically my advice. My advice is go for the music, for the power of music. Most of my friends of mine that are not as famous or not, they are in my age too, and some of them dying, etc. And they had the whole life playing music in clubs, recording, sometimes making good money, sometimes not. But they had the music. And that's what I said. The power of music is very important. And that is the reason why to go into music, not fame and fortune. Yeah. Amen. Well, thank you, Fido. Great interview. <laughs> okay. I hope it works out. Okay. No, that's great. Thank you very much. All right. Appreciate you being here.